This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. This episode is presented by Berger, a unique family-owned company offering the highest quality essential oils, aromatic chemicals, and fragrance materials. Hi, I'm Michael Lam. I am the Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Tea Lee Spas. And for me, it's a matter of focus. The global wellness economy was a $4.5 trillion market in 2018, representing 5.3% of global economic output and growing. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Wellness has become a dominant lifestyle value that is profoundly changing consumer behavior, evolving categories and markets, and mainstreaming concepts and modalities, and products that were once considered fringe. The spa industry has been preaching beauty from the inside out for decades. The rest of us are just catching up. The spa economy has seen a dramatic increase as consumers are drawn to self-care in response to hectic, overconnected lifestyles. Michael Lom has been on the forefront of the spa industry since his role as the managing director of Bliss at its inception in 1996. Known for exquisite taste and insatiable curiosity, he combines operational and development expertise within a broad spectrum of the spa, beauty, and hospitality landscape. Today, Michael is the COO of Tea Lee Spas, conceiving and implementing new spa and wellness experiences from concept through completion. So, Michael, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So I feel like we have to give our listeners a little bit of context about our relationship. Yes. Because it goes back a long time, probably longer than we care to admit. We care to admit. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Um, I mean, actually, if I think about it, you were one of the first people I met moving to New York. Yes. And we both met um, working on the sales floor of Bergdorf Goodman. Yes, indeed. And you are really sort of how I fell into the beauty industry. That's so interesting. That's, that's uh, I guess so. I mean, yes, that's uh, as things happened back in the day. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I was in fashion. Right. And we were both in our 20s, mm-hmm. sort of kind of going from job to job, figuring out what we didn't want to do in our lives. Correct. And you were, um, had taken on a new job. Right. To run what was going to be the Bliss Spa. Right. Originally, let's face it. And yes, so um, that was a sort of interesting happenstance. Uh, a friend of mine was actually seeing Marcia for, for facials, Marcia being the founder of Bliss. And um, at the time, I didn't last as long as Kelly did at Bergdorf <laughs> for lots of reasons. So I was in, in the hospitality business running front office. And um, it was, you know, in the context of speaking with Marcia during our treatments, um, you know, talked about coming to work for her and really just sort of managing, um, you know, managing the skincare studio, which eventually morphed into kind of a full scale kind of urban day spa called Bliss. So, yes, that's how we uh, 
that's how we've both gotten to this industry. Yeah, you know, I think it's also, I think for both of us, was kind of this defining decision that kind of has led us onto the the path for that sure. we had. Yep. And I don't really even, I mean, I can speak for myself. I, For me, I'm like, I didn't know if it was going to work out or not right. because I had never worked in beauty. Right. There was no such thing as a catalog where you sold beauty products. I know when we were talking about Bliss, we were just hoping that people would make appointments mm-hmm. because it was, you know, I think Marcia is a visionary. Right. You know, she really kind of upended the spa industry. I think, yeah, I think it's I think it's her, her kind of vision that she stuck to and executed on. And I think it was, you know, a drive like no other. I think yeah. those two kind of aspects of her personality really are what, you know, kind of made Bliss uh, what it is. And it was, you know, it was the time and place, too. Exactly. Right? I think, you know, I think it was right time, right place, right group. It was right the go-go of, 90s. Yeah, it yeah. was also like the right group of people. We were all sort of around the same age. Yep. I think what Marcia was building, like we just got it yep. inherently. Yeah. And we just sort of just rolled up our sleeves up and our did our best and, to try to make it happen. Yeah. Because that was in 1996. So now I've totally Right. We've aged ourselves. I know. Oh, well. (laughs) It was pre-internet. You know, and when I I think of the word disruption, which gets thrown around so much, you know, I find myself kind of outing my age uh, repeatedly because, you know, when we were at Bliss, Uh like Bliss was the ultimate disruptor. Sure. You know, it's like... We know I got told you can't sell anything through a catalog. Hmm. And we we created a new distribution channel that didn't exist before and sort of almost set up the internet, like when we made the transition to sell online. Yes. And then, right. yeah, it was a totally new distribution. Originally, originally, it was a pure phone order yeah. proposition. Yep. I remember putting the stamps on and doing the wafer seals on. I on. mean, some of the stories <laughs> of things like, I talk I about like lounge, a yeah. bunch of 20-somethings that, you know, I think sometimes, you know, being naive, if we knew what we were doing, we probably wouldn't have done half sure. of Half of the things that kind of made Bliss what it was. And also from the spa side, you know, I think it's really interesting to have the historical perspective. But like, can you share sort of, you know, what it was like to in that time and place in the spa industry? Sure. So, you know, we are going back to 1996 and we are going to a pre-internet era. And I think from a spa standpoint, what existed at that time, more or less, would be you know, some of those big marquee destination spas, a la Canyon Ranch or Golden Door, things like that, as well as urban sort of kind of old ladyish kind of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Arden. Arden, Georgette Klinger. Kind of queen for a day. Right. Yeah. Like these sort of like kind of glorified beauty parlors. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there were a whole lot of, you know, interesting healing art centers, you know, around New York as they still are today. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, there was nothing like it. And, you know, as I think we've talked about it as well as what was what Marcia had was so smart about, too, was taking out the fussiness or the sort of importance or the sort of seriousness and kind of making it lighthearted and fun. Even, you know, looking at her own, you know, her own issues around, you know, body image and weight and just sort of kind of issues that every woman everyone has. has and kind she of, sort of like went at them head on. Right. And sort of said, you know what, it's not about that. So, I mean, in in a certain way, 
you know, the whole idea of being happy, living your best life, all of these things. I mean, I can sort of attribute it, you know, you know, she really did. She, she nailed it. Yeah. She really she did. did. Yeah. And it, you know, I also think it is, um, when you think of kind of where we are today, you know, when people say, oh, you know, indie brands are a trend, it makes me want to scream because I'm like, you know, I think indie brands are just part of a business cycle mm. and they're not new. I mean, we lived through sort sure. of another incarnation oh, yeah. of the rise of indie brands that had sort of a profound impact on the industry. It was, you know, Creme de la Mer was one product. All you needed was one product. Right. And there was the, Mindy Grimes with the flip chart of the burns. Yeah. You know. And, um, uh, miracle broth, yeah. And the miracle broth. Um, Stila was, was you know, yeah. mascara and a couple lip glosses. NARS was a startup. Kiehl's was a startup. Right. Uh, you know, so it's this idea that indie brands are some kind of new disruptive force is, I think, a fallacy. But... I think what what is different is that Bliss was self-funded yes. and cash flowed. There was no venture money. There were no angel investors. There was it no was, outsiders telling Marcia or anyone for that yeah, matter what to do. Yeah, You know, it's like we spent what we earned. And, and more so. And yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a freedom that comes with bootstrapping with your own money that changes sort of once there's a lot of money around. Right. But so, you know, for our listeners, that's sort of our, our uh, I guess, start in the yeah, industry. Combined trajectory into yeah. beauty or in spa, yes. You know, and you stayed in, um, you sort of stayed in the sort of spa realm and sure. I kind of went into more branding. But, right. You know, I think one one of the things that is interesting to me is kind of how spas have evolved. So I think we went from sort of like these beauty salon mm -hmm. sort of, you know, mean esthetician right <laughs> um kind of, of scolding you, scolding you right. Right. to sort of a bliss that kind of destigmatized all of that made it urban and cool and and more of kind and of hip. And and hip. hip yeah to fast forward i think we've almost seen the deconstruction of oh, that sure yeah i mean you know i think there was a time as well, you know, when I started moving into more of the hospitality, mm -hmm. um, you know, spa space. And the kind of message and takeaway was really about, you know, pampering and status and relaxation and kind of these much more softer sort of benefits or, you know, reasons for being. And if you kind of look now, it's, you know, in this whole rise of wellness is the new spa, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, what people are looking for now is really for solutions to kind of perform at a higher level. It's really it's really not about bragging rights any longer. It's really about finding those kind of services and products and, you know, people, talent that help you to live the best life that, you know, you can be. I, you know, I, I find it very interesting that, you know, at, it was almost like a one-stop shop, you know, at Bliss. That beauty, people would come and get too. their yeah. yeah, they would have their facial appointments, they'd come in for sort of brows, they'd come in for nails, and sometimes they do it all in one shot. Sometimes yeah. it would be kind of one off treatments. Yeah. But you know, where we are now is we have these hyper focused yes. 
solution. So heyday for kind of no nonsense no skincare. skincare. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because there are these like very kind of niche treatments sure. that people kind of like piece together. Well, and not to mention in the fitness space, because, you know, the work right. that we do in hospitality has a increasingly more and more of a focus on fitness and and, and active movement. Um, I mean, we're on ground zero here of every kind of boutique, you know, niche angle on fitness that you can get. And by the same token, I think, as well as in more of like the personal care services mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah, it, I think it is, you know, this, and we keep on hearing there was supposed to be this big consolidation that never has really happened. Right. And I don't know if that's the same holds true in beauty, but it's, I think the reason, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a kind of big mix of ingredients, the spa experience, um, you know, most, and it revolves really around the therapist, around mm-hmm. the, around the service provider. And you can't automate that. Right. So there's always going to be this sort of, variation, if you will, um, you know, um, in that experience. There's just no way to standardize it. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Sure. Because it's, you know, you're working on much larger sort of resort um, projects. Hospitality projects in general, lots of resort, some urban, but I would say 70% of our business is, is new resort development and in the luxury space. So we get brought on by either ownership groups, the operators, you know, the brands or Mm -hmm. the interior design companies. And we are brought on as part of a a very large team of of development consultants to really sort of initially, whether it's sort of conceive of a, a sort of an idea of an experience or to really start looking at kind of the site and site planning and that kind of thing, but really to start to figure out what sort of experience makes sense given the location, given the target audience, given the brand, if there is one involved. And so from that, we start to kind of work really in sort of three different channels, if you will. Uh, We're working on the built environment, collaborating with architects and interior designers primarily. We're looking at the programming, the menu and or the service offerings. And then we're also looking at the sort of operational kind of implementation phase of things. So we love to be involved in projects that are turnkey. Um, that oftentimes does not happen for a variety of reasons. And we, I think we're, the best outcomes come when we are handholding this process through a development cycle that starts with, you know, really design and construction. Um, the brand is, say it's a four season, say it's a, an addition, they are kind of at a arm's distance from what's going on, and they really only get involved when the property is ready to launch. So we kind of see ourselves as the kind of experience architects, mm-hmm. if you will, that are really like the glue to kind of make sure that the vision that was originally articulated and and bought into, you know, is fully executed, you know, at the end. And how long... What is the timeline for a project? Totally it's really varies. long. It, isn't well, it? it can be. I mean, depending on where it is mm-hmm. and the complexity around entitlements and you know, approvals, construction. I would say by the time that we get involved in a project to launch, it's generally in the three-year, two to three-year time frame. And you know, I think at least from sort of an end user, mm-hmm. it seems that the role of sort of spa and fitness and wellness 
it's gone from being a nice to have. Mm -hmm. And it almost felt like at some point spas in the fitness center were sort of like window dressing. You had to have them. Right. No one ever and really... And they were totally siloed yeah, and for they were a to- very long time. Yeah, yeah, and no one really ever used them, right. but you had to use them. Right. You know, they were kind of looked at as like a lost leader. It, and or a sort of, you know, a ratings, um, you know, a requirement. Really. Right. Yeah. But recently um, I was reading some statistics and sort of the, the spa and fitness component is becoming a profit center now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is one of the things that we, when we get into projects, we sort of, it's our obligation to educate our clients that spas make money. Um, they're not going to make the kind of money that Bliss did because that can never happen It was an for anomaly. lots of reasons, <laughs> but they absolutely should be profit centers. And not only that, but we do have access to data that, you know, you know, spas also drive ADR and they drive occupancy when they're done well. So, you know, it's there is a sort of direct contribution to the bottom line and, and indirect. And of course, you know, then there's just also the sort of softer, you know, draw of having, you know, a, a best in class sort of wellness proposition, especially among kind of affluent North American people. I also read in urban areas that the guests for a hotel mm-hmm. property or, well, not really a resort, it would be a hotel, mm-hmm. are actually locals. Oh, yeah. Well, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of resort development now is mixed use. So there is a, a sizable residential component. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like this built-in community piece. Um, so you have hotel guests, you have members, if you will, of a kind of homeowner club mm-hmm. community. And then, of course, depending on where it is, you have local local business. So you're looking at those three different types of, you know, kind of audience streams. You know, I think that there is definitely more of an integration of wellness. You're not just getting sort of massages and facials. Or like chocolate butter like ops chocolate. and things like that. Yes, we're over that now. Those like, yeah. uh, or pumpkin yeah. spice. Tied like, to a, a holiday theme. Exactly. Let's hope not. Um, but it's, I think spa offerings have become incredibly sophisticated. I guess this it's come with sort of this rise of self-care. and Oh, sure. You know, I think we've moved past the, you know, recreate a spa at home moment where I think people are much more sophisticated about sort of wellness. Well, look at skincare, kind of where we come from, right? I mean, really where all that innovation is, is kind of filtering down into spas really from medical. I mean, um, you know, just all of the non-invasive technology has completely shifted the game. And I think spas, the good ones, look at that opportunity, but also making sure that they're not losing the high touch piece of Mm -hmm. it. Because at the end of the day, if someone's coming to a resort destination, they are looking to have an experience that is, you know, lovely and it feels great and it's sort of soulful. They're not looking for the bang, bang, bang. I mean, that's really more of a sort of day spa or even kind of urban, you know, I mean, you know, I think one of the things that has always been has been interesting to me you know i'm always chasing trends and trying to figure out where they start Mm. um but you know so many of the trends that we see in uh, let's say skincare and body care Mm -hmm. were happening in spa i don't 10 20 years ago 
I mean, if you think of oils, think about body think oils. About, think about yeah. oils. Yeah. Think about, or even if you think about brands like Barbara Close at Naturopathica mm-hmm. or Brenda Brock from Farm Aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of these brands are. 20 years old and they were preaching the clean green essential oils and they all actually had spas as so so they had built sort of their own distribution and now you kind of fast forward Mm -hmm. and it's become mainstream absolutely and i feel like even with technology Mm -hmm. so like Bliss was like ground zero for the oxygen facial. Microderm, right? Microderm abrasion. Mm -hmm. So I kind of feel like the spa has always been kind of, in some cases, on the fringe Mm -hmm. with like essential oils that have also now become mainstream. Right, right. Um, Or even, I don't know, there's a million examples. Energetic body work, which has always been such a, I mean, the most woo-woo thing that is, I think, in 2020 is really hitting yeah. critical mass. Or um, even, what is it, the sound? Sound healing. Sound, sound healing. healing. I mean, in many guises, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, what are, if we believe that spa is sort of an incubator of kind of these these kind of fringe mm-hmm. wellness and beauty trends that go mainstream, mm-hmm. like what's happening in the spa world now that people are are sort of like, that's so weird, but you believe is is important. Right. I just feel like in the spa world, there is a more, not an esoteric approach to wellness, Mm -hmm. but it's sort of this higher level, almost academic approach Hmm. to beauty Mm -hmm. and a more holistic approach. Yeah. I mean, I think things that, you know, in the industry that we're talking about trends are just kind of, you know, really where the, Mm -hmm. the conversation is going is in, you know, in mental wellness, Mm -hmm. you know, blame it on, you know, 24-7 digital culture. And it's not necessarily, you know, speaking to it from a psychological perspective. It's really more about kind of brain hacking in the sense of, you know, so there's this resurgence in flotation therapy. And I got to tell you, I was a bit of a doubting Thomas. And I went into one of those sessions and it was powerful. I have to tell you, when Left Bliss Uh went to Amsterdam for a week. Uh So this is 20 years ago. And I did one of those flotation things 20 years ago. And I remember it being, first of all, I thought they were going to forget about me, Mm, which is what usually happens when you're in a very vulnerable space. Um, But it is interesting that it's sort of, it was around, you know. Yeah. I mean, and it permeates. There's, I mean, meditation is the new yoga, right? But we're also looking at, you know, sort of guided meditation things or technology boosts. I have brought in to, I just, we worked on Equinox mm-hmm. and that was the anti-spa. They wanted nothing to do with like traditional The new spa. property by Hudson Yards. The Hudson Yards Hotel, yes. Um, you know, and, and bringing in sound therapy, you know, as part of a extreme circuit that included, you know, um, cryotherapy, infrared sauna, this sort of sound table that really creates sort of mimics like four hours of sleep in a 20 minute sequence so i think that what's what's really innovating are these kind of technology tools and there's also i think just um kind of it's because the there the innovation is there but it's also responding to just a structural issue in the spa industry which is there's a shortage of of therapists really Yes, and it's never, and especially in certain markets. Um, so the consumer is looking for deeper experiences, more diverse. Mm-hmm. You know, we as 
developers of those sort of experiences are doing the same because we're really looking at kind of broadening the offering beyond just like what happens in a private treatment room. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's also where, um, you know, fitness and outdoor adventure and, you know, all this sort of community building stuff, it's all kind of happening because of the response to, you know, people are really freaked out, stressed out, burnt out because, you know, everyone's just like always on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I always find it interesting, the Global Wellness Institute, I think they're so brilliant in sort of the trends they surface. I mean, I feel like they surface trends like two, three years in advance. I mean, they definitely do a great job with, with that. And, you know, one of the things, I think it wasn't last year, it was the year before they were talking about mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Um, And not only sort of the adaptogen sort of aspect of mushrooms, but the more sort of psychoactive. Yes. And I know that there's sort of, there's not a lot of them, but I know that there are resorts that are incorporating um, sort of that element. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, CBD, THC. I don't think we're going to have that in the big brands right. for obvious reasons, but certainly in kind of more interesting independent properties and in, in places where it is legal and, and very much, you know, you know, adopted, I can see that happening very quickly. I mean, we went, remember that time we went to Two Bunch Palms? That was yes. like a, that incentive. <laughs> so, you know, we come from this urban model of just kind of riding the wave and we go there and we're like, what have, what has happened here? Um, but, you know, the new ownership of Two Bunch Palms mm-hmm. wants to do an on-site dispensary. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, if they have to kind of, if there's regulations and things that are preventing that. But it just, it's funny how, you know, you look back on our history and we yeah. thought, what what is this? And, you know, those are the kind of places, though, that really, I mean, it's not the prettiest facility. No, but, you know, I have, I've often talked about that property because there's something really unique about it like they were kind of marching to their own drummer yeah it was not glamorous i think i got a salt scrub with like a box of uh, epsom, epsom salt, salt. salt. Yep, yeah i'm pretty sure and they still have those sitting like those the, i love cabins. lucy yeah. like yeah. um steam uh, cabinets but there was something sort of like kind of special about it yeah and i it, think there are two ingredients there is um the mineral water and i mean yeah. that i think you know talk about what's old is new i mean that's super exciting for us if we you know if we can get more projects where you know there is actual geothermal water as opposed to municipal water and also that place was sacred i mean yeah. it, it, in history it really had a role and and you feel it um and you know that is not so tangible but yeah there is something really special, special about, that, about place. that place. Yeah. Where are and I know this is completely subjective mm-hmm. but where like in the world do you think are or if you had to name sort of like top 5 sort mm-hmm. of resort destination mm-hmm. spas that really create they're doing something different mm-hmm. and creating experiences. Well, North American spas, you know, I think we we really are more on with the exception of a Canyon Ranch, it's really mm-hmm. still very lifestyle driven. So you're yeah. on vacation per se, but you want to really have amazing services, work out hard, but also have great food and have cocktails. You know, there are places now like in, in Asia, which they used to be quite um, sort of um, high touch and, and a, a bit more. I mean, they're bringing in medical, they're bringing mm-hmm. in um, cosmetic dermatology, places like Chivasom. And I'm also interested in, in, in the cultures like in Alpine resorts, um, mm-hmm. you know, that culture, contrast bathing. But, you know, they're bringing in that medical approach as well. 
there's so many different models now. I think Americans, you know, I think if I can say, I think we do the kind of the luxury resort thing really well. I don't think we're as good in the integrated mm-hmm. um, kind. And that might might have something to do with, you know, our, our healthcare system and things like that. And I also think that, I think we talked about this earlier, but, you know, I think people need to focus to, to not try to be everything. Yeah. Case in point, I mean, most resort projects that we do now, we really discourage kind of these big beauty um, salon components because, A, they, there's no staff to. And, you know, that's just not really what people are after. I mean, that, that kind of work, that kind of personal care stuff really happens in their home, you know, in their, in their regular lives. Or you can sort of get it on demand. Exactly. Even if and, you can, and, and, and the operator can do that, too. They can right. kind of call up the local glam squad, if you will. Right. So, yeah, I think I'm having a really strong sense of focus and doing whatever you do well and not trying to be, you know, like the cheesecake factory of spa with, you know, a million different service offerings that are largely the same. Well, and also you're dealing with you're dealing with luxury properties that are sort of site specific. Mm-hmm. And also you're dealing with, you know, massive budgets. Like you have to be thinking of things with sort of a long-term view 100%. when the rest of the world is sort of Use on a short term yeah. Yeah. Uh, thinking, yeah. And do you find do you find it hard to sort of convince people to sort of think of things with a permanence to them rather than sort of like what's trendy now? Yeah, I mean, I think that's our that's our responsibility. Yeah. Um, and it's as simple as you know, when designing treatment rooms, um, you know, we are not going to give you a very specific kind of special use type of room, like a Vichy, for instance. They're awkward. They don't necessarily, you know, if they're not done properly, they're really uncomfortable. So we're always looking at multi-purpose functionality or, or, or spaces that can be, you know, adapted to, to different uses. And yeah, I mean, if we're going to make a big push for some expensive, you know, whether it's pools and hydrothermal components, they have to be relevant for the long haul. I mean, and they have to, you know, return for at least a, I would say, a 12 to 15 year kind of time span. You know, what do you think has been sort of the biggest change in the industry sort of in the past 20 years? What's been the biggest change and what sort of is foundational and hasn't changed at all? I think like the view of the sort of affluent audience of how important, I mean, just what a necessity they feel that their physical health, their physical fitness, their physical appearance and their kind of mental state, I mean, the priority placed on Mm -hmm. it, that to me was not a conversation or much, you know, mm-hmm. front of mind to many people back in the day. It was really just how skinny you could be. I think just like yeah. health. I think people want to really are searching for, you know, ways to kind of maximize their life, to kind of preserve longevity, to kind of stay in the game. So I think the the rationale has changed has changed quite a bit. There are endless amounts of outlets now and of course with the internet, I mean, you know, you can research and find out so much so many things and it almost i feel like is sort of an information overload and now here's our trend minute brought to you by big thinkers that aren't afraid to make predictions this is ashley edwards and i'm a strategy director at lpk in cincinnati and this is your trend minute 
So let's talk bougie beauty. I don't know if any of you have heard this term coined. Uh, I came across an article in the New York Times by a writer called Crystal Martin. She wrote an article back on the 29th of January, and uh, it was called the $20 Luxury Face Cream, um, and really just kind of unpacking this idea around uh, the boom in low-cost skincare products that have a luxury vibe. So I think this is super interesting because... I went to fashion design school, and so we were trained as consumers that the higher price the fashion, the higher price the furniture, the higher price the food, the higher price the wine, the higher the quality. And I remember that paradigm being challenged very early on when I was working at Procter & Gamble in the research and development department, and uh, I was speaking to a longtime colleague of mine who was trained as a chemical engineer and a cosmetics formulator, and I said, so higher priced beauty products and prestige beauty isn't better than mass market beauty. And she said, Ashley, I'm a chemical engineer. Uh, and so I think it's really interesting, though, because I that attitude we have still persists. There was an interesting debate that happened recently when Hermes uh, just launched their, their beauty brand and one of their lipsticks is $100. It's a very interesting attitude, I think, that we all possess as consumers that um, we're looking for value and we really embrace this idea of high-low from a fashion standpoint, but there's this, this assumption that we're pairing high quality with low quality. And I think what brands like Beauty Pie, so that's the brand that Marsha Kilgore, the one that started Bliss, her new company, or brands like The Ordinary, or even a brand like Versed, which just got acquired by LVMH, which is really interesting. I think they're starting to challenge this paradigm. They're saying we're working with the same exact um, contract manufacturers and the same suppliers that supply the big brands with their $300, $400 creams. And we're going to give you a luxury experience and great efficacy uh, and, and a great formulation, but for a fraction of the cost. Beauty Pie in particular is really interesting because it's got a subscription and a membership business model. And so I'm dying to try it. So that's sort of what's been on my mind is bougie beauty and how it's going to evolve as we get further into 2020. Thanks so much. I want to take a minute and talk about Berger, a unique family-owned company offering the highest quality essential oils, aromatic chemicals, and fragrance materials, sensory-enhancing solutions for the world's most respected brands. Berger's uncommon inventory is a single resource from mainstream ingredients to the esoteric raw materials that provide your creative spark. Over 300 essential oils and more than 2,500 aromatics, our global network of producers ensure uninterrupted supply even in unpredictable markets. We source materials from trusted producers and screen meticulously throughout our supply chain for purity in all ingredients. Berger focuses on sustainable and environmentally sensitive solutions that deliver total customer support. To learn more, visit bergerinc.com. That's B-E-R-J-E-I-N-C. What do you think the next sort of evolution of spa is going to be? You know, there was this moment where there was like the rise of the the day spa. Mm -hmm. And there were like mini chains of day spas. And mm -hmm. I sort of feel like there are less of those. Mm -hmm. And I think it has sort of, there's this fragmentation that has happened that we, that we spoke about. Right. And then I think you have sort of, at least in urban areas, hotels, 
it's almost as if some hotel spas have taken the place of day spas. Yeah. Right? So if someone asked me today where to go get a facial, right? you know, I would send them to an individual right. from Bliss. Right. Or a Joanna Vargas. <laughs> or a Joanna, or a Joanna Vargas. Check, but or they're, Tracy but, Martin. Or yeah. Tracy Martin. Also, another sort of early sort of clean beauty yep. concept yep. that started in, in spa. Mm-hmm. But they're sort of these kind of cult facialists. So mm-hmm. there's that. Or if it's a massage, you know, sometimes you want to go to sort of, you know, the Mandarin and have the whole experience. And but it's it's you the know, problem there though is that they it it's does, so insanely expensive. It's so and it does not necessarily <laughs> equate to yes. a better therapist or a better treatment. But uh, I right. guess my point is that there's like there was bliss once, and there mm-hmm. were incarnations of bliss sort of all over the country. I think there are less of those options and more. Like you can get services in so many, many places, and, and it places. can come to you now, and it can come to you. Yes, I also think the rise. I mean, again, in sort of New York, and it's just like people that are crossing really more into the kind of healing arts world. You know, they're acupuncturists, but they're giving kind of they're like coaching, I and mean, there's like all of this sort of crossover into. I don't even know how to how to define that. I kind you know of space. it is it's um and and fashion people are like the first to always be into yeah. that, right? I mean, it's. Well, because I think of, you know, being in New York, you can always find some random treatment to get. But, you know, acupuncture, I've been doing it for years. And now now there are these sort of chains popping up um, that are doing acupuncture, which is really amazing. Right. Or the whole, like, the whole, like, retailification of of medical. With like these fertility clinics and these yes. dentists and all these things that are that are opening up in storefronts. I mean, that's... well, I actually think, and I don't know what you think about this, but I actually think that's going to be the next distribution channel for brands. Interesting, because you know, I went because I was so curious. I went to tend that new dental concept. Okay, um, and is it cosmetic or like general dentistry? General dentistry. Okay, it's general dentistry, but it's you know, it's cool. It's very well designed. Mm, you're not in yes. like a sterile right. kind of drab or drab clinical, clinical yeah. waiting right. room. Right. There's a lot of integration of technology. And it's like so smart how sort of how the medical and and sort of um, health wor- world is evolving. And, and like kind of becoming a, a lifestyle sort of decision as opposed yeah. to like, you know. And focusing of- on sort of functional medicine rather than you know diagnosing illness illness. right yeah um i I mean it's happening i think that's the biggest thing for sure is that that paradigm that you're just suggesting that people for lots of reasons are just deciding to take it into their own hands and kind of be more proactive and in lots of different ways because i think there's a sense of that that this feels good, right? It feels safe. I mean, yeah. and when everything is so crazy and kind of out of control, people are really kind of, I mean, even in, when the downturn happened, mm-hmm. you know, in um, 2008 and 2009, you know, I, I remarked that the kind of decimation of, of traditional retail in this flat iron neighborhood that I wander around all the time. And it seemed to me like the only things that were happening were these boutique fitness mm-hmm. concepts, kind of athleisure stores, healthy eating, and I'm like, oh, this is like the rise of this, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you know, wellness economy. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that um, I think something else that we did not touch on, but I think is important to touch on is that spas have always been a, 
obviously a distribution channel mm. for beauty brands, mm-hmm. sort of a, across categories. Mm-hmm. But they are sort of they are their own their animal. Their own animal. Yes, they and it are. Is, um, it is a very sort of insular community. And, I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're not merchant savvy at all. Right. Generally. So, that's not always the case. So yeah. if I'm a beauty brand mm-hmm. and I have my eye set on – because from, you know, just from a, a common sense perspective, it's – as a brand, you always go to where your consumer is. So, you know, with all these brands that are sort of purporting to be clean and wellness focused, makes sense to be sort of in sort of a spa resort environment. But it's easier said than done. Correct. It might be easier, easy to get in. Right. But building the business is a, it's completely different. Right. So can you sort of run through what you look for in brands? Because mm-hmm. I know that that's something that you also advise on. Oh, sure. And also, like, what do brands need to be prepared to do to be successful in the okay. channel? I mean, I look at brands through, like, you know, really this kind of three Ps. It's sort of the positioning, the performance, and the purity. Because we are by far not Nazis around only, you know, by, you know, certified organic and we definitely feel it's important for lots of reasons to really push the clean, but you know, that's a bit of a continuum. Um, And, you know, for the spa channel, you know, the brand it's the things, you know, it can't be just what I like. It has to be, you know, what makes sense for the the positioning of the brand, you know, of, of that brand. And, you know, it's do it's very different selling in a line to a retail store than it is to a professional account. Now, spas can also, I mean, you don't necessarily have to have all of your retail assortment within the treatment, but as we all know, it's Mm -hmm. it's sort of a much more impactful way to kind of convert the sale. And I look at brands that... um, that know what they're doing, that know how to, you know, to open an account and service an account. But I also, our job is to, even though we are development consultants and not often involved in ongoing operational oversight or mentorship, we do try very, very hard to kind of set the expectation that when we bring in X number of brands into a new property. And, you know, these brands have spent a lot of time and money to train the staff and to give out the product and do all this, that there has to be at least a year that there are no, you know, no swapping out brands just because spa director X, you know, really likes blah, blah, blah. Like, cause it's not fair. It's not mm-hmm. fair. It doesn't give the, the brand a chance to actually be successful and, um, you know, I think that's the common lament, I would say, from, you know, they think it's, a, it's an easy gold mine, And it's not because also they're just like the sort of systems and knowledge of the sales process. It's just it's, it's not different. the same. Yeah. And spa directors generally are oftentimes are coming up through the therapist ranks or they've kind of crossed departments. They're not really they don't really have a merchant mentality. And, you know, I know just having worked for brands that that needed to do that balance between sort of professional spa distribution and and retail distribution mm-hmm. you know if you opened up a nordstrom in their city it was like you know they came running with their hair Correct. on fire Fear that of competition you've, that you've ruined their business which i like to try to remind them 
oh, you have in this case, it's free advertising. right? Exactly. You've got a, a brand like Nordstrom kind of giving their blessing and validation. I think you should look at it in a different way. But yeah. you know, but yeah. I'm sh- that's still happening. I'm, yeah. I'm well, sure. and now everything is the whole online thing. Yeah. Even I think even more of a concern than the bricks and mortar is who is selling. And then the whole Amazon thing with all that going but on. But are spas getting sort of savvier about kind of that repeat purchase? Because I think, you know, uh, spas are very often a place of discovery mm-hmm. and sort of experience. Right. And then they go to, say they go to a resort or a destination spa. Right. And then they're repurchasing somewhere else. Right. Just because out of ease. Right. Are, are those businesses sort of trying to close the loop yeah i mean there's all these programs that brands Mm -hmm. will say you know that that they will if you give you know guests codes or things from a replenishment standpoint i think i think you have to look at it two ways i mean when you're in a in a kind of deep remote resort environment the likelihood that someone is going to buy a new skincare regime is not highly realistic what you want to sell in those things are special things that can really kind of, you know, amplify their vacation. Mm-hmm. So things that, you know, you're not going to necessarily, you know, do maybe, you know, in, in running around New York City, you're not have a lot of time for baths. But, you know, you'll do like a really amazing bath soak and kind of like a scrub ritual and things like that. I think I think spas need to think about what their guests are doing the, the time that they're there um, and not presuppose and also like you know this idea of like selling linens and all that i mean i'm like stay in your lane (laughs) stay in personal care and then the other thing is you know when projects you know i also think you know spas often sell lifestyle you know apparel Mm -hmm. jewelry that kind of thing and you and i know how what a random hot mess that can be i think it's really important especially for these you know these high profile properties that they really work with a real a real established lifestyle buyer who knows how to kind of make that assortment and, and not put in the you know in the hands of a spa director. I don't. I just don't. It think ends that's... up being sort of like this very bad gifts yeah. top moment. Schlocky and yeah, agreed. Are there any brands that have been born out of kind of the spa industry that haven't made it mainstream that you just love working with? Mm. Yeah, there are. Um, I'm a, I love, and actually, this will be another yep. like memory lane. iSun, which is from Sunny. Mm-hmm. Remember Sunny and Bunny? Oh, I'm yeah. I'm sorry, she's Bunny, not Sunny. The Astara, yeah. those. Yeah, those, Bunny the, Gulick. Yeah. yeah. So she, ha- I mean, she is producing these gorgeous, beautiful formulas that are, you know, with incredible amounts of integrity and, and beautiful ingredients and doing it in a really special way. I mean, you know, I love working with brands like that. Mm-hmm. I love small brands. I, it's yes. just, I think from where we came yeah. from, it's just, it's it's like, it's, but, you know, you have to do a lot of education. Yeah. Um, or um, Marcy Blumstein, who has this line, Couscous, which is sort mm-hmm. of like a CBD body line. Mm-hmm. Super cool. But I also like, you know, more established kind of luxury mm-hmm. brands like an Omoravitsa, mm-hmm. which as far as that kind of, you mm-hmm. know, category. I mean, it is quite clean. I mean, it does have a spa heritage and it's and it's appropriate for either a brand or a clientele that is really looking for more right. of that traditional prestige skincare offering. Yeah, you know, I think sometimes the beauty industry is also so focused on direct consumer and retail that they forget 
forget what a big industry spa is. I think I saw a recent number that the spa economy, hmm. which is like a hundred and nineteen billion dollar business, mm-hmm. the global wellness is like what is it four point three trillion? trillion. Yeah. And you know you have brands like Elemis hmm. that got sold for nine hundred million dollars. That's a big business that was born out of the right. spa industry. That's true. Yeah. Um, and so I think sometimes people sort of diminish spa from a revenue perspective. But, you know, I think for me, I I love where the spa industry is going now. It's just like it, it really is this moment to kind of unplug. Yes. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you know, some of the things that we look for, you know, the freebies, if you will, is nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it just does half the work for you. Um, and people need more connection to nature. It's just what's good for them. And now, obviously, that is not entirely feasible all over the place. But things like that, you know, designing around um, kind of how much of that natural world we can we can bring into a place is super, super important to us. Um, the days of that, you know, kind of bunker, you know, basement right. spa or fitness for that matter. I mean, it just does not cut it any longer. Now it's definitely sort of the integration of sort of nature and the interior. Right. And and thinking what people are going away to these beautiful locations, they want to be outside. I mean, Tracy is my business partner. Mm-hmm. She was working on this um, luxury lifestyle community on the big island called Kahanaiki. It's one of those like, you know, tech billionaire mm-hmm. zones. And before they had built out their extensive clubhouse, they wanted to kind of bring in a temporary fitness offering. And she created this whole CrossFit-inspired, you know, kind of concept called KFIT for Kahanaiki. Mm-hmm. And it was really meant to just kind of bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. So then the, the clubhouse lo- opens with a beautiful, and I've sent you one of the photos, mm-hmm. you know, fitness studio. And the intention was, oh, well, that's going to come down. But all of the members were like... No, this is amazing. Wow. And it's like an example of, uh, you know, sometimes these great ideas happen even when you think it's just really, it's, it's, it's a temporary solution, but it really becomes sort of a permanent fixture. Are you seeing more or, or, you know, are you coming across more projects that are residential, sort of communities that are being built around wellness? Sure. I mean, like I said, a lot of a lot of the hospitality, the kind of resort development mm-hmm. in, in, in markets, usually, you know, com- oftentimes mm-hmm. combines that, you know, they were now looking here in New York with the six senses and the hotel yeah. and the residences and Equinox and Amon. So 100 percent. I mean, Tracy and I have talked about we would love to do what we do in terms of, you know, developing, you know, kind of built environments and kind of the content that goes in for, you know, for individuals. Yeah. Um, like a truly, truly kind of curated experience. And I think there's legs for that. I mean, you know, it maybe runs against my sort of anti-elitist, um, you know, <laughs> political views, but, you know, there's a lot of money out there and people want to really kind of tap into kind of the best that is that there is well, out there. I mean, I would agree. I, I mean, absolutely. I think that there's sort of a market for, you know, these off-the-chart experiences. Or yachts or planes. Or, yeah, or bunkers, yeah, like right, wherever yeah. you are on that uh, continuum. Right, right. But I also feel like maybe maybe the next generation of sort of spa wellness is going to be kind of reinterpreting, call it the retirement community. Mm. Oh, for sure. You know, because I think... Senior living, yeah. uh, Because I think it is so... It's so formulaic. And it 
yeah, there's a clubhouse, but usually there's like an afterthought of a gym. Right. And they're playing cards and there's a bar. Right, and, right. But it's not sort of – they're not really set up to almost e- extend how people are physical living. physical health yeah. and, and mental health. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, For sure. For such sure. an opportunity, yeah, I think. Absolutely. And, and I think it will only grow as – we age, you know, boomers are into it. Yeah. And, you know, we came of age when there was just a lot more services and, yeah. and, and goods. And, and I think we're going to kind of bring that through into our, um, you know, into our yeah. older ages as well. I yeah. mean, I can't believe we're talking about this. I know. <laughs> it's really depressing. All right. So one last question. Okay. So if there was one piece of advice that you could give someone that would sort of fundamentally change their business... What would it be? I think you have to have a a clear sense of a point of view. I think you have to just kind of stay true to whatever it is that's putting you in this sort of you know business opportunity in the first place. Um, I think you and I have seen after Bliss and all the conversations. I mean, people who are chasing the what the investors or what have you and are just contorting themselves to try to make everyone happy and like they ultimately have nothing. I think, you know, I think people really need to kind of stay like follow their gut. Um, you know, and obviously be adaptive as if if things change, but just this like constant you know, like, well, should we go be doing this or should we be doing that? I think that gets people into yeah. a lot of trouble. Well I also think that when people hire you, they know what they're getting mm. because You've actually done exactly what yeah, you said. Yeah, and, 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 and we really truly believe our responsibility is to, you know, deliver lasting value and to, and to kind of move the needle forward and, and not to, you know, the, that the end user experience also has like something genuine and real and meaningful to it. And it's not just a bunch of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, yeah for sure. So, Michael, I know you're not on social media right. other than LinkedIn, right. which I have to say I'm quite envious of sort of the disconnected um, – Social. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm happy that my instincts and I, I. Yeah, I don't really second guess it, but yeah. I love that about you. But the people can find you on LinkedIn, but yes. but also where else can they connect? So you know, Tealy Spas has social media presence. That's sort of one of the things that uh, Tracy and I that you do not handle. Uh, that, no, correct, <laughs> exactly. I'll write the content because I write all of the content for our company. But um, if I'm not going to necessarily actively be posting just because you know you can't do everything. But uh, we do have a, uh, an Instagram account, or you can always reach out through um, our website uh, and send an email through that way as well. Well, Michael, thank you so much mm. for um, fun. the walk down memory, memory lane. lane. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Thank you. Everyone has those people in their lives that you grew up with professionally. They're close friends and collaborators you can reach out to with completely random requests and receive an immediate response. And no matter how much time passes, you pick up right where you left off. Michael has always been part of my tribe. In fact, he's the reason I'm in the beauty industry. For Michael, it's a matter of focus. As people incorporate more wellness values into their lifestyle, their interaction with the wellness economy is becoming less episodic and more intentional, more integrative, more holistic, and definitely more demanding. Michael and his team are industry bellwethers, seamlessly marrying ancient modalities and technology, creating site-specific concepts that push boundaries while focusing on long-term viability. 
Beauty from the inside out, clean product formulations, and the integration of wellness, health, and beauty may be trends, or they may be the new normal, depending on your perspective. But these concepts have been table stakes in the spa industry for decades. The spa industry has evolved these concepts to a new focus on sound, brain health, and the healing power of nature. As much of the planet is now a tourist destination and true wilderness becomes more scarce, spa and wellness concepts are focusing on immersion in deep nature that's far away from technology and industrial influences, even reproducing seemingly natural experiences in urban environments. So, in the end, it's a matter of focus. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Michael Lam. When I mention it's a matter of focus, it's really through a you know long and somewhat complicated design process with a lot of different players and a lot of you know situations that arise. It's really going back to the original vision that um, you know you've advocated for. In our case, you know to our clientele, and always going back to that so that we do deliver on you know the original intention of what we want this experience to be. To me, that's focus. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, copyright 2020. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Connect.